Place for Monday, September 25th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arborly here at the iconic Wall Center at downtown Vancouver. And if you're planning a holiday party, the Wall Center offers over 55,000 square feet of striking indoor and outdoor space, including their iconic 34, 34th floor meeting and reception space offering sweeping views of the city. Contact sales at Wall Center. Dot com. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Gritty Sass hitting switches, conducting things in the show. Presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Celebrating 25 years. Having a big party show out at the Performance Center in Langley on October 1st. you got great new deals right now on new Nissan Leafs and Rogues at Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Richmond. The QX50, QX60 from Infinity, lease from 3.99%. Had to pick up a couch yesterday and mm-hmm. fit beautifully in the QX60. Put all the seats down and saddled up. There you go. And no charge maintenance pat- packages with a chance to win $25,000. See dealer for details because, Blake. It's all good at Applewood. But our poll question today, we're asking you, are you worried about Vasily Podkolzin's development? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games. Poker strategy and sports odds. Caps absolutely have to win Wednesday at Colorado, the worst team in the West. Victory pays just plus 150 on your Bodog line of the day. Well, the Vancouver Canucks have hit the ice in season 23-24 preseason game in Calgary last night. As per usual, when you're the road team, you don't necessarily dress the most representative NHL lineup. That was the case for Rick Tockett last night. The Flames dress something closer to what they'll put out there on opening night, and uh, it showed ten nothing. Who had the worst weekend? The Bears, the Broncos, or the Canucks? <laughs> I, I think it's the Broncos. To be honest, if we're really breaking this down, the, the, their game counted. Yeah, the and other it, two games counted. That's the difference. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a little surprised by the Canuck lineup. Like usually for these sorts of things, even early on. You dress one NHL line of of repute. Like I, I would have been a little bit more in line if they had a Bovillier and a Garland in that lineup, or a, or, well, I mean, or a Garland and a Myers, you know, sort of thing. Like they they got away with the veterans because Irwin is like the eighth defenseman on this team, but he's got a ton of NHL games, so he he helps bump that up. Um, and Suter, I guess, qualifies as a veteran. Well, I, I was going to say. Suter, Pud Colson, Stadnika, you could argue that's an NHL line. Oman, Hoaglander, now they played Carlson on that side, but they could have easily have played Dries or Joshua on that side. And then Joshua, Ratu, Dries. So you're NHL-ish. Yeah, but it's stretching. Yeah. Like there was Hiroshi, no... Rossi, Juleson, you're NHL-ish. No top eight forwards, really. No top seven no. forwards, anyway. no. So of course, uh, no one is really reading in to ten nothing. Although uh, I must say, at different points, listening to our old friend Dave Tomlinson call his first game back from Seattle, and I'm reminded that you thought him a good omen on Friday. Preseason game. Hey, Dave, your first year in the radio booth. The team went to the Cup final. You must be a good omen. Well, there you go, Dave. There's a ten nothing game for you to get things going. 
Well, sure. The thing that is a little bit surprising is uh, the, the Canucks, and thankfully, have whittled down their preseason to, to just six games. They yes. topped out at nine, I believe, one year, which included one uh, one split squad. Maybe even that year it was two split squads. Did, does that include the game in Salt Lake City that no one really No, Stockton. Saw? Oh, Stockton. Stockton. Yeah. We're not sure if that actually happened or if they just colluded to say that it happened. But but with only six, you like, this is your one throwaway Sort of AHL game, right? Like they, I think you have to have. Yeah, you, you want to see guys. You, you want to have most of these players play three to four games. I think so. You know, starting Wednesday, I think we start to see far more names. It was the first rank wide post game podcast. Yeah. Uh, you sat in with Jeff Patterson yesterday. I'll be in with Jeff on Wednesday for the preseason game in Edmonton. Dare I ask? Did anybody look good to you, Blake? Like, are you giving a passing grade to anybody after 10 nothing? Well, we thought at the time, and now NHL has since made a correction, Kita Hirose was on the ice for one of the 10 goals. We thought it right. none. I believe he was the last one standing, yes, right, who yeah. had not been on the ice for a goal. So that is remarkable. So I think you have to say that he's done his job to some degree. Um, and I think of the guys that you wanted to see something out of. Like, I, I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Joshua to show us what he's got. We know what that is and all. Um but I think Hoaglander and Pod Colson were at the top of the list. And Hoaglander had some bad, but he had some try. Like he, I think we saw that. Well, he of, always has try. Yeah. But he was noisy. That that hit in the corner on Gilbert, I mean, I don't think it was a dirty hit. It was shoulder to shoulder. There's, they were in the corner, so there's boards on two sides of you when you're going shoulder, shoulder to shoulder right in the middle of the corner. Um I just would have loved to have seen the pulse of Vasily Podkolzin at some point. Mm-hmm. You know me. I'm a big fan, and, yeah. I, and and I hate that I can't vouch for him after a game like that because I want to, and he was absolutely invisible. So are you concerned to answer the poll, the Bodog poll question? No, I'm not. I'm disappointed in that game, but I, I'm not. If we have two to three more of those in the preseason, then I'll be concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have to be concerned at this point. It is four years on from his draft year. He was viewed at the time he was selected as not only a more physically mature prospect than most, but also a guy who had a better defensive game, better defensive detail, which is typically one of the things that keeps young players out of the NHL. Mm -hmm. And he was advanced in that area as well. It was a step-back season for him last year with the demotion. We had heard last week from J.T. Miller, from Rick Tockett, that it looked like he had a great summer. He stayed in town this summer, became a dad. A lot of things were pointing towards Vasily Pudkolson being a better player. And look, it's one preseason game. He's going to get several more here, plus all the practices are going to count in Rick Tockett's eyes and the coaching staff's eyes as well, but he absolutely has to be an NHL player this year, like a no-doubt NHL player, or at that point, yeah, you're getting really concerned, and you're staring down the barrel of a third top 10 pick blown by that regime after Jake Furtanen and Ole Ulevi and yet go sideways. That one, I think you'd have to say they get away with the criticism of that one because everyone thought it was a gift that he had fallen to them at 10. Well, there was uh, there was talk about Pud Colson as a potential first overall well, going into that. Ten season. months previous to the draft day, absolutely, yeah. Um, but still, a, a I, I thought a great pick at the time and good fortune for them to get him yes. at the time. I, I, you do wonder at what point do you give him what uh, many of people are calling for in New York with uh, Alexi Lafreniere? Is do you do you just now give him the keys to the city 
and say, if you don't do anything with the keys, then then, then we, are, we are done with you. That's so a lot of people are saying, put Lafreniere on the top two lines, yep. and if he doesn't do anything, it, it, do you do the same thing with Pod Colson? Mm-hmm. It, it might be worth checking that out to see what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you do it for the opening week, but maybe you know week three of October, you know when things are starting to settle down a little bit, maybe you uh, mm-hmm. maybe you try it then. Of course, uh, a few things that will sort out with the Vancouver Canucks this preseason is who's going to play in that bumper power play spot where Bo Horvat not only held it down but flourished last year before the trade to the New York Islanders. Brock Besser has got some run there in practice. Now, Besser did not play last night. Uh, also, the special team side, and we saw this in the scrimmage, who are going to be your primary penalty killers were Teddy Bluger and Phil Giuseppe look like they're going to be a forward duo based on the scrimmage. Again, they didn't play last night. Uh, Oman and Joshua, though, they did. And you mentioned Joshua. He got a little tussle with Garland in the scrimmage on the course of the weekend. I would bet that Dakota Joshua feels like, I'm not just an NHLer anymore. I'm a top nine guy. I'm coming for the third line. That's where I want to stick. Yep, Especially I, the way he's ended last year, which was strong. I think he... Uh, in his heart, I don't think he would ever communicate this, but I think I bet you in his heart, he thinks he can score twenty goals, hmm. and I bet you he's he's angling to get a position that that you know that puts him in position to score twenty goals, maybe even getting power play two time, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. That's probably on his and mind. There's some opportunity there yeah. on on uh, power play two. I think we also saw Rick Tockett and his defensive. Coaches Adam Foot and Sergey Gonchar tipped their hand a little bit on the weekend, and we'll get into this with Jeff. But uh, it was Ian Cole with Philip Ronick and Carson Soucy playing the right side with Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that being their top four defense as we go into the season. We know Coach Tocca talked about experimentation, and I think that's absolutely uh, going to be the flavor of the week here. But I also think you're going to see when it all shakes down. Some of the things that you saw this weekend, either in the scrimmage or in the preseason game, come to pass for when we get going for real against the Edmonton Oilers. Wednesday, October 11th is your season opener for the Vancouver Canucks at home at Rogers Arena before they head to Edmonton for their first road game to kick off a five-game road trip on Saturday, October 14th. And lo and behold, speaking of those, those Oilers, they're next up Wednesday. It's a 6 o'clock puck drop from the Alberta Capitol in the next preseason game. Couldn't help but notice our old friend Brandon Sutter. He played his first hockey game in more than two years. He talked about it was the very first time he had been nervous before a preseason game. <laughs> Uh, he confided that the touch with the puck was still a little bit missing, but he said it was a special night because his kids got the chance to see him play for the first time in three years. And given what Brandon went through with long COVID and all that, uh, hope to see him Wednesday. Hope he does well on his PTO with the Edmonton Oilers and either signs there in his home province or somewhere else around the National Hockey League. That's a good news story. Brandon Sutter uh, on his PTO in Edmonton, Brett Sutter, is a Flames product. He's playing tonight. Do you know Flames play a split squad game today? Like they play two more games today. Do they really? versus Seattle? So they've wow. got they'll have three official <laughs> preseason games under their belt by the end of tonight. Arizona had three on Saturday. They had their full NHL team in Australia, and then yeah. they had two split squad. I saw that really. I thought yeah. that was a misprint on my app. I was like, 70, how is this possible? Seventy man camp roster. 
And incidentally, the ice at Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne, not very good. They yeah. have to stop the game. Yeah. And I saw some there saying, well, you know, with what we're spending to watch exhibition hockey, do you think you could have reinvested a little bit of that into the surface? It's not like you can blame it on 40-degree temperatures outside. It's winter Although there. It was, it was warm, apparently. Was it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, still, probably not scorching. Well, I mean, if you're going to these locales, the first thing you've got to do is make sure that the playing surface is set up to deliver the events. Yeah. And, an interior- and, and that's on you, NHL. Like, I realize it's a foreign, but you used to have the ice maker extraordinaire. What was the name? Dan Craig? Yeah. From Edmonton or Winnipeg or wherever he's from, some northern climate. He was Edmonton, I believe, yeah. Right. Who would go around and basically teach other arenas, here's how you get good ice or here's how you get the best ice you possibly can. Anyways, neither here nor there. BC Lions punched their ticket to the CFL playoffs with a 37-29 victory Friday in Edmonton against the Elks. Uh, this caught me off guard, but it stands to reason. This is the first time they've been in the playoffs in back-to-back years since 2016-2017. Mm. You remember, of course, there was one CFL season sacrifice to the pandemic, and they weren't very good for a while there. How about Ryan Phillips' defense, which continues its sensational play this season? Because 29 points was a little misleading for the Elks. Seven sacks. Four more tackles for lost. Matthew Betts with another humdinger of a game. He's the team MVP for me. Two more sacks and a fumble recovery. Smoke Mizell with 16 carries for 112 rushing yards, plus two scores. Our boy Sean White, perfect on field goals. And Terry Williams strong on returns again. It was another day where Vernon Adams wasn't really at his best couple picks there. Yeah. And yet the players around him rallied and got a victory. And there's two ways of looking at that. Either, hey, great win, way to rally around the quarterback when he didn't have his best stuff, or the quarterback still gives me pause, particularly when the competition steps up. That's that's more where I'm at. Hey, I, I, I do think the rest of the team played really good. And I think Vernon Adams was fine. But those are big mistakes in playoff games. And he still continues to make big mistakes. Yeah. There still tends to be a couple of throws per game where you go, what is he doing? Why is he even risking that? With that defense, that kicking game, you don't really need to take the chances that he is. Now, things are happening fast, right? He's known as big play VA. In the CFL, you do have to take your shots. Because, you know, the inside is likely going to score. He was 8 of 11 when I first tuned in. And... Two of the three misses were picked, so he was actually 10 of 11 into (laughs) into waiting arms. Now, big one Friday here at BC Place against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's it's the Truth and Reconciliation game. Orange Shirt Day fans will be getting orange shirts if you're amongst the first 10,000. And, of course, we're giving away tickets, as we do to every BC Lions home game. Text hashtag Lions to 778-402. 9680. Your chance to win not only a pair of tickets, but a food and beverage voucher and a gift card for the team store. We'll be picking the winner later this week, announcing on Thursday's show. Hashtag Lions. Text it 778 402 9680. A weekend unlike any other in the National Football League. We'll start with the team of biggest local interest, 
Good win for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, I like that win. Continue to further distance yourself from that stinker in the opening week against the Rams. Now, that's a horrible team you're playing with its backup quarterback, although the backup quarterback may be more advanced right now than the rookie first overall. And Andy Dalton was trying to pick on Devin Witherspoon all day, and the rookie corner had a hell of a game. Mm -hmm. Well done on the fifth overall pick. Silence some of those critics. There were still some times in the second half where I was like, you're kind of letting that Carolina team hang around, but... I thought Geno Smith forced a couple throws, too, that he got away with mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but he got away with them. Yeah. He's got great receivers. And, and like that, that two-point convert is a great example of it. When you have that much confidence in your receivers, you can throw it, and it can be kind of intercepted and stolen back by that same receiver. Well, and that's the thing is, and um, I heard them talking on Sunday Night Football about this with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo and Devontae Adams were, uh, I guess, Garoppolo told Collinsworth and Tarico, you know, in the past I was so drilled to not try that throw, it's too risky, but Adams is just so good, you got to give him a chance. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks have a little bit of that going yeah. with their receivers. They really with do. Metcalf lock, locking a quieter night for uh, Smith and Jigba, the rookie first rounder. But the other thing you got to like. The ends are good, though, in Seattle. They, you know, they can hold passes down. Their backfield can catch the missing ball. Disley, the, uh, the, the blocker. The other thing is, um, you you know that Pete Carroll likes the way they finish that game, being able to run the football when they needed to. Mm-hmm. Charbonnet with a couple of carries late, and Kenneth Walker had two scores and nearly 100 yards on the ground. So, decent game, good game for Seattle. They're moving on now, and the schedule gets... Uh, they're in New York to face the Giants on Monday night football, and then the bye week, and then they come back and hit up Cincinnati, and we'll see if the Bengals can be one of the teams that fall to 0-3 as they play here on Monday Night Football. I don't think we would have guessed a 3-1 and possibility for the Seahawks based on Not opening after, nights. yeah. No, so, I mean, they, they are back on serve, if you will. Speaking of 0-3, mm-hmm. Miami 70, Denver 20, Kansas City 41, Chicago 10, and that's after Andy Reid called off the dogs. Mike McDaniel did not call off the dogs, or at least not until very late. Andy Reid pretty much called off the dogs early in the third quarter in a couple of blowout victories, including one for the history books. Also some confusing losses. Dallas, Arizona, Dak Prescott with a horrible pick late in that game. Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, are you really the next coming? Because C.J. Stroud and and the Texans beat you up. On the week, and then Baltimore loses to a backup quarterback against Indianapolis, and of course, and of course, the Baltimore people—they hate one franchise more than others, and that's the team that used to be theirs, mm-hmm. the Colts, now in Indianapolis. Okay, just because you know, every time the Bears get destroyed like that, I get messages. I get it. We're on to Caleb Williams. Oh, oh, that's okay. The first overall pick next year, the quarterback at USC, the defending reigning Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. winner. I'm just going to say this right now, right here at 0-3, and then we'll just leave the Bears alone for the mm-hmm. rest of the year. We're on to Caleb Williams. Should should you get one of the Bears to, I don't know, date a pop star of some sort? Maybe that would help strengthen their it, uh, case. Because, it could only help at this point. Because the Swift, I'm not sure any pop star would want to date a Bear. Swifty energy really se- seemed to lift the Chiefs. As Ian Rappaport said in the second half, live feed of Taylor Swift just watching the game. Who says no? 
Not I. This was after Fox cut away from the game. This doesn't happen all that often because they allow for the comeback. Yes. But Fox actually cut away from the national feed of the game and moved on to Dallas and Arizona because they're like, this thing is over. So Kansas City, Chicago, and their home markets were the only two people, only two markets getting, getting Taylor that Fest? <laughs> <laughs> So did you, I mean, Taylor Swift dating Travis Kelsey. Hanging out with her, his mom. Hanging out with Donna Kelsey. Uh, so big. First of all, the NFL might be the one entity on planet Earth that doesn't need Taylor Smith's totally, promotion or totally, shine. Yeah. And yet, she is going to have an effect. More on that in a second. But it even got Bill Belichick commenting on another team and making a funny. Did you hear this? Uh, isn't this an older quote? Isn't this from like two weeks ago? No. No? On the Greg Hill Show, the hoodie. I would say Travis Kelsey has had a lot of big catches in his career. This would be the biggest. <laughs> and that was well in the, in the deadpan. That was well check. delivered, Matt. That was good. That was uh, yeah. D- make sure you don't smile, Bill. Right. So, just a an example of what Taylor Swift can do when mm-hmm. she's associated with your brand or your efforts. Blake, she put out a post. On voter registration. Did you see this? I did see this. And immediate dividends paid out. So she's got 272 million followers. Mm -hmm. And she put out a post on voter registration. 157,000 eligible voters visited the registration site. Via her link. Via her link. It marked the largest national voter registration day since 2020. There was also a 72% increase in 18-year-old regist- registrants compared to 2019 and an 11 and 115% increase in that age range compared to 2022. So she tells her followers, "Make sure you register to vote." And like lemmings, they go to the registration site mm-hmm. and sign up. Hey, whatever gets them to the polls. I can only imagine what the audiences will be now globally for Kansas City games if she continues to appear in the executive box, the player suites, with the Kelsey family. Yeah, yeah, they might just tap into an audience that they never thought they would have. As for Denver scoring 70, the third most in an NFL game and the first since the 60s, Mike McDaniel grew up in Denver. He was a Broncos ball boy. He was a coaching intern there in 2005. When they had a head coaching vacancy in 2022, they didn't interview him. He puts up 70, and they had a chance to set the NFL record with seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter kicking a field goal, and he didn't do that. By the way, Broncos versus Bears next week. <clears throat> Get excited. And somehow, some way, the, the Broncos. Losers. King of the losers. Somehow, some way, the Broncos coming off a 50 point loss are two and a half point favorites in Chicago on the road. Wow. What a slap what in does the that face say? for your Bears. So I'm taking no more Justin Fields questions the rest of this year, much like Elias Pettersson on his contract. I've addressed that topic. We're done. <laughs> We're on to Caleb Williams. Can you imagine, like, I would, a penny for Russell Wilson's thoughts. Like, he just must not know what has happened to his life. I saw Ryan Fitzpatrick say he's playing himself out of the Hall of Fame, which is a phrase I'm not sure I've ever heard before, but I sort of understand what Fitzpatrick is saying now. Like, if he has five years that are just ghastly in Denver, 
what does that do in terms of the way we view the Seattle success? Right. And, and I think it's fair and unfair all at the same time because mm-hmm. we did see the tools that he used within Pete Carroll's system. The guy had physical tools. His, his ability to elude tackles, his creativity, his penchant for the moment with all those comebacks. I mean, that is the player. That's not the system. I, I just... But but the system is going to get a lot more votes in the wake of all this. Like I, I'm last year, I wanted to give him a mulligan because it was clear that that head coach was not ready to be a head coach, right? And also, it was a bad team as well. Yep. This year, you've got a quote unquote quarterback and offensive guru in Sean Payton. And how about Sean Payton? And and really, I, I there are a few coaches now that I'm going to suffer less than Sean Payton. Like, if, if you want to be that cocky guy as head coach, your team's got to fucking win. Like, he's he's a Bill Parcells disciple, and so he takes that Parcells sarcasm, confidence, swagger, whatever you want to call it, and incorporates it on his team. Did you hear him yesterday? Wow, I've been on the other side of some of these, but... Uh, oh, really, Sean? Yeah. You see, you haven't got your ass kicked before in the NFL? I'm sure if you go back in the record books, you could see Sean Payton getting his tail kicked in the NFL. He was a scab quarterback once upon a time for yes. the Chicago Bears during yeah. the strike, and he was also, if I'm not mistaken, an Ottawa Rough Riders quarterback. So I'm positive Sean Payton has taken a licking <laughs> somewhere in his career before this one. And and this is what's surprising me, Blake, because I thought, okay, they're still not very good. At least I don't think so. But they should show progress this year, and Russell should be in way better hands than what he was last year. On to baseball, where the Seattle Mariners are in free fall, swept by the Texas Rangers, now effectively four back of Texas in the division. Because remember, no tiebreaker play-in games. They go to the head-to-head record. Now, M's still just a half game back of Houston, and they've got Houston starting tonight at their crib, and the Astros have to be kicking themselves as well. Not my joke, but I saw it on Twitter last night. Trash gets back at the Astros. You remember the... Banging of the trash bins. Yes, indeed. Kansas City wins two or three against Houston. So you have that big series, Ems and Strohs, tonight. You have the Rangers at the Angels, who have shut down Mike Trout, and who knows if he ever plays a game for the Angels again, based on what's coming for them this week. So the Rangers should run away and hide at this point. At this point, they really should. Now, they are in Seattle to close the year, but you have to think they get two of three against the Angels. Yeah. And then I think the Blue Jays have to feel very good about themselves taking two of three in Tampa. That's the toughest ballpark to win in all of baseball. Quite a day for George Springer yesterday. Inside the park, home run, diving catch, throws a runner out. Toronto two up in the wild card. They finish at home here with the Yankees starting tomorrow and Gosman's pitching. And then Tampa. But as we have talked about, Blake, that third wild card might be the place you want to finish because you get the Minnesota Twins in the first round as opposed to having to go to Tampa. There's no home, fi- no home field advantage in baseball, eh? Well, I mean... Look at the road records. The road records for a lot of these contending teams are better mm-hmm. than their home record. Jays, most notably. I mean, you would think the ability to build a club suitable to your ballpark and having last at bat would create an advantage, but... The only truly great home team are the Rays. In the American League and the Rangers for that matter. And I'll say this. If Seattle falls short, Jerry DePoto has to go. Because DePoto, with the blessing of ownership, chose one foot out at the trade deadline as opposed to one foot in with what is still arguably the best rotation 
in Major League Baseball. They traded away Paul Seawald, and then DePoto complained about the bullpen getting tired as they went through a tough stretch post-trade deadline. They chose not to add a bat or two, and there were some professional hitters, not great guys, but very available for very cheap cost. He quit on the clubhouse, and as we've talked about, there's a little bit of the Major League movie theme going on in that clubhouse. You quit on us, we'll show you. If it winds up falling short of the playoffs, can't fire ownership, and I'm not sure how you regain the trust of your clubhouse with DePoto still presiding. And in a league where a third of the teams still only make the playoffs, right. it's still a slit. Like you, if you're within arm's reach, you owe it to your group to give it a try. Especially when you have the number one component to winning in the play. You have starting pitching. Yep. Anyways, hugely important week for the Mariners. Of course, old Blue Jays fans will remember that last week of the season back in the 80s where they lost out to miss the playoffs. So we'll see how that shakes out. Should be a fun, fun week in baseball. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by AG1. Get the nutrition in your life out of the way with one fell swoop. Drink AG1. Go to drinkag1.com slash and Price. Get a special offer and find out what it means to take care of your health. How about this for today? Frank Saravelli, NHL insider, president of hockey content for the Daily Faceoff, in studio with us today. Frank's making a tour through Western Canada. First stop, Vancouver. You're going to want to hear what he says about the Vancouver Canucks. He thinks them one of the most interesting teams this season. He's got a bold prediction for you, and he's not all that concerned about the Elias Pettersson contract matter. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including history or her story made in Canada West football as well. A Canadian icon says goodbye to a town that he's owned for 17 years. We'll talk to J-Pat, look back at the scrimmage and the preseason game, point forward to what's what's to come this week for the Canucks. Full team day off today. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. So Carson Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Nearing the end of the month of September, and that means the end to the 25th anniversary festivities at the Applewood Auto Group. So act now, just a week left to go here and your chance to take a car for a test drive, maybe win 25 grand. And if you pull the trigger on a deal, Free maintenance package included worth almost $2,500. So head to the Richmond Auto Mall. We've got Applewood Mitsubishi, Applewood Nissan all there. And take a look at the fabulous models to choose from. It's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question. Are you worried about Vasily Podkolzin's development? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakharson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. St. Louis Blues coming off a brutal year. 
Remember at one point last year, Barube was like talking to his GM through the press about yeah. how these guys ain't it. I, I do think the talent there is better than what they showed last year. Bennington had an absolutely brutal year. And, of course, this is one of the teams that can actually going to have to hold off as they vie for the playoffs. They finished just below Vancouver. I'm going to go over 86.5 points for St. Louis on your Bodog line of the day. Joining us now in studio, the president of Hockey Content at the Daily Faceoff. It's NHL insider Frank Saravelli. Welcome to town. Yeah, great to be here, guys. Great to be in your your studio. This yeah. place is awesome, and uh, always good to be back in Van, if not a little wet. Yes, what brings you here? Uh, training camp. I wanted. I th- I really think the Canucks are one of the most interesting stories in the league this year. There's all sorts of expectations and pressure. I think there's a whole host of talent. I think this team improved a bit, and I'm curious to spend some time around them and see what I learn. You uh, go way back with Rick Tockett. Two Philly guys. Yeah, right? I've known Rick a, a while. Um, we did TV together, kind of when I was first starting, maybe like fifteen years ago, and just um, yeah, he's an interesting guy. So looking forward you, to, to seeing him. Do you think players will? I mean, he's 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 done this before, but it's it's been a bit. Um, do you think players uh, latch on to a guy like Rick Tockett? Yeah, I, I do because he's genuine. Yeah, um, there's no BS about what he does or says. There's no fancy speech. There's no, you know, rah rah. It's put your hard hat on and come to work and and try and improve. And um, I think that rings true because he first off he had a, a, a fascinating career. He's one of those guys that when you look at his penalty minutes and then you look at his points and his games played. Um, first off, he never took anything for granted. Yeah. And second, any little thing that he had in his toolbox, he was forced to use because he was never the most talented guy. So um, his career, and then now you look at his coaching arc too and, and the different experiences he's had, the different people uh, that he's worked with along the way, there's a lot that he's – a lot of knowledge that he's amassed that I think he's able to connect with players in a way that's authentic. JT Miller, most specifically, do you think? Do you think there's a, uh, a uh, you know, a little grasshopper there in, in JT Miller, despite being 30 years old, that uh, he might try to get the best out of JT Miller at this stage? Look, he got the best out of Phil Kessel at that stage, too. Yeah, yeah. Almost the same exact age. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say JT has way – you said grasshopper, and the mm. first thing I thought of was spring in his step. Yeah. He definitely has way more of that than Phil Kessel did mm-hmm. at that age, so why not? Yeah. It was 1,144 games for talk at 952 points, 2,972 penalty minutes. He almost had 3,000 penalty minutes and 1,000 points. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's amazing. <laughs> That's going to be a short list. That, that and, and often um, – you know, uh, I, I think of him too in terms of, you know, he was on Team Canada because he could fit with other skilled players. He made it a habit of fitting with skilled players. He could fit with rough players. So we'll see uh, what he does here from a coaching perspective. What's your forecast for the club? Like they are hoping to be a playoff team. How realistic do you think that is? My bold prediction and one of the reasons I'm here is that the Canucks make the playoffs. Um, if you're in the Vancouver Canucks front office, you're saying, hey, that's not that bold. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with you? We knew that. Yeah. Although they just said it, everything has to go right. So they're on the fence, I think, a little bit. Well, first off, they need to get off to a good start. You mm-hmm. can't tank your season by mid-November. You can't be the Ottawa Senators again. Yep. 
and that is a big focal point. But I also liked what Rick Tockett said last week when he was talking about you know the idea we know we need to get off to a good start. Everyone knows we need to get off to a good start. The only way to achieve that, it's the cliche, but one day at a time. You like you can't it can't overwhelm you, which is the hard part about how you approach that mentally. We've been talking about the division though too. The division is gonna is kind of putting their playoff aspirations on a T. I mean, they've got two weak sisters in their division that they could absolutely clobber on the regular in the Ducks and the Sharks. Now, it's not as unbalanced a schedule as it used to be. You don't get the eight games anymore, but um, still, that's that. there's those two games, those two teams, and then teams like Calgary where you're just like, I don't know what the Flames are and how good they're going to bounce back themselves. So there's opportunity there if they're slightly better than average. Doesn't it pose like a, a pretty good storyline for them? It's interesting that that's how you framed it because I'm not – entirely sure that I see it the same way. No, I actually okay. think the Pacific is the hardest division really? in the league. Okay, explain. Because I think five teams in the Pacific are making the playoffs. Wow, really? I think there's only three coming from the Central because I don't think the Central is very good this year. You've got Winnipeg falling off yep, most likely, sure. Nashville, St. Louis, not really sure what to make of them. I think you've got the big three in the Central, Colorado, uh, you've got Minnesota, Dallas. Those teams are going to be right in the mix. Mm-hmm. But... The Pacific, I think, um, you, you've got some legitimate Stanley Cup contenders and heavyweights. You've got the Oilers. You've got the Golden Knights. Um, I think the Kings uh, are a really good team that just happen to be stuck behind those other two teams that yeah. if they played in a different conference, they probably would have a better path. And then you've got – you mentioned the, the Flames, and they're they're not really in all that different a spot than the Canucks. And I'm – I'm actually kind of making my way east on this training camp tour. I'm starting in Van, going to Edmonton, and then Calgary. Calgary's in a very similar spot in that they've got authentic expectations to be a playoff team, to take a step forward, a new coach, new GM, totally new feel. What does that translate to? I don't know. And then you've got the Kraken. I I don't know what to make of the Kraken. Oh, it's true. Mm -hmm. And I think the Kraken could be a playoff team. I think they could – I could easily see them falling off. Yep. Yep. I was thinking about this last week for NHL insiders like yourself as we move towards trade deadline, and I know it's super, super early, but between the three Western Canadian teams not named Edmonton, whether it's Calgary, Winnipeg, or here in Vancouver if things go poorly, I imagine the Buzzards will be circling one of those three franchises by trade deadline with the personnel that could be available Right when you take a look at who Calgary has on expiring deals, who Winnipeg has on expiring deals, and of course the big Elias question here. Um, Is it really a question? Okay, you tell me. It's not. It's not for me. Like I, I personally, I don't think he's going anywhere, um, and I also think he's authentic in a desire to play in Vancouver. Um, I, I think the reason he's not signed is that this is, and this is my personal view mm. is. He believes he's a 102, 510-point player in this league every year the way that he's, you know, took a huge step last year. And I think he wants to be paid like that. Mm-hmm. And the idea that he's going to sign an 8-year deal and it's going to be for, you know, a bargain number, it's probably unrealistic. So the reason he's not signed isn't cuz he doesn't want to be here, it's because 
the Canucks didn't put that money on the table. He wants the Why 13 not? mil cap hit instead of the 10.5 mil cap hit. Is that it? Or something that brings him closer in line with a Pasternak or someone else yeah. that's in that sort of similar caliber of player that I just don't think the Canucks have put it on the table. Why not then? They know the cap's going up. Well, their I best think, player can't afford to lose him, wouldn't want the distraction. Why wouldn't Vancouver put that on the I think they want to see it again. Really? Uh, that's I, I. If I was running the team, I would want to see it again. For reference, Pasternak, 11.3, uh, 11.25 on the cap. So, yeah. I mean, it's hard to be consistent in this league. It's hard to take yet another step further forward from the level that he's at. To go from 100 to 115, it's a big deal. Um if he's a you know if let's say he goes back to the you know mid 80s or or low 80s you're having a different type of conversation then if you're the Canucks um i don't know that there's you know i don't think he loses money with an 84 point season but i think he's got the potential to gain a lot of money if he has 105 well that's my season. point cuz yeah. that's what the Canucks were already putting on the table i yes. think something yeah. in that mm-hmm. neighborhood right. yeah. so is it really a step down for him it's probably just the same as what was already available right. to him yeah Tyler Myers has his bonus. They have said we're not interested in trading Tyler Myers, although there has certainly been a lot of buzz around his name since this management group took over. What's your sense on the Tyler Myers file and where that goes, if anywhere? Yeah, I think a lot of people had September 15th circled on their calendar as if somehow magically that was going to be a day that he was on his way out. It, it has been a fascinating dynamic just because, and I think his agent, J.P. Barry, had said something similar to this, that from the day that, the moment that contract was signed, it was like that they kind of wanted to move off of that. And I know there was the regime change in the middle of it, but um, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I think they're really conscientious of trying to, make sure this team is as competitive as possible. You see even a, a margin trade like um, like the DeSmith one, they're trying to improve in every area possible. So they want to be competitive. And having Tyler Myers part of your top six, I think certainly beats the alternative right now from a cap perspective. What went on with San Jose this summer and Myers? Yeah, so they they spoke a number of times and, and had something on the table. Um I believe it was straight up Tyler Myers for Kevin LeBanc. It was a, you know, you take a contract I'm unhappy with for a contract that we're unhappy with. And, you know, the upside for the Canucks was that they'd save a little bit on the cap. And the upside for the Sharks was they'd potentially save a little cash. Um and have a right shot defenseman to pedal at the deadline, right? That, then that was part of it, too. Yeah. But the Canucks are like, well, wait a second. We could just have you, that for ourselves player, yeah. if exactly. we don't have yeah. the season mm-hmm. that we want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw you tweeting about there are still some RFAs. And Blake and I did this story as outsiders last week looking on in on a little bit of information. What the hell is going on with Trevor Zegras in Anaheim? Because that's a uh, pretty good player to be nickel and diming this early in his career. Yeah, it's been an uncomfortable spot, I think, for Zegras and the Ducks. Um, I think when you consider the the salary cap structure that Pat Verbeek has put in place, like Trevor Zegras is a young guy who's clearly dynamic and has all the skill in the world, but has room to grow. Troy Terry is their team's best player. 
And so they got Troy Terry on a long-term deal at seven. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, okay, Troy Terry's our best player. Mm-hmm. You need to get in line. Wow. Get under yeah. that number. That's yeah. my understanding. Yeah. And and they're still a budget team, right, Frank? They're not a spend-to-the-cap team? Well, they shouldn't be anyway. They're rebuilding. Yeah. So, But if you're looking at it from a long-term view, you should try – my philosophy is you should try and get – all of the players that you can that you believe are core pieces signed to the longest term deal possible at the lowest possible number that you can get them at. Sure. What that's going to result in for Trevor Zegras this time around is, wait a second, I've had two 60-point years and I'm 21 years old. I'm not signing a long-term deal under $7 bucks. He's going to do a bridge deal, mm-hmm. whether it's two or three years, Whatever that AAV comes in at, they've clearly struggled to find common ground. And I think it kind of speaks to, I don't know if it's the environment that Pat Verbeek is fostering, but mm. he is kind of managing like he played. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a grinder. And uh, no Jamie, one is getting over on Pat Verbeek no. in his first year on And the Jamie game. Drysdale should stop dreaming of a Jake Sanderson deal, too. That's clearly not going to happen for him as he practices uh, with the university team in, in Toronto. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really unfortunate for Drysdale working back from that injury because yeah. last year he played eight games, and to get a, a, a year of service, you had to hit 10. That gets you closer to arbitration. Mm, yes. And I think that probably hurt. Um, I, I think he needed two years, so it would have been one more anyway. But still, um, he's someone that two years ago we were talking about as one of the next bright young sure. defensemen, yeah. thirty you know plus points as as a rookie. That um, that injury year really cost him, yeah. and it's he's going to have to sort of work his way back to earn it now. A uh, really um, interesting comment from Evgeny Kuznetsov Mm -hmm. in Washington on the weekend where he says, quote, it feels like in this organization, those who want to be there are kicked out and those who don't want to be there are left behind. So apparently he's requested a trade and Washington hasn't yet dealt him. And so now he's going to talk about it. Well, not only do the interpretation for us here, Frank. Well, interpretation is actually an interesting word choice because this was to, if I'm not mistaken, a Russian news outlet. Yes. There is a healthy amount of interpretation that I'm sure you'll see him probably partially walk back some of it at some point. However, um, that's been a long-standing point of friction between the Caps and Kuznetsov. Like, they feel like he doesn't put in the, the work. He's not nearly consistent enough. He doesn't act like a pro. And... I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really talented guy that's coming off of a 55-point year, his worst year uh, in 10 years. And he was also the guy that it feels like a lifetime ago, five years ago, I was trying to figure out on my Conn Smythe ballot, is it Kuznetsov driving the bus or was it Ovechkin? Right. And that contract has really hampered things. Trust me, it's not for lack of trying that the Washington Capitals still have Evgeny Kuznetsov. Like they tried to move him multiple times, and I was told even in the last month or six weeks, we're still working to try and do that. 
I thought more interesting than those comments were the comments that he had about his coach in Peter Laviolette saying that he was the exact wrong fit for the team and that he was basically trying to hold guys back. Um, maybe adds a sprinkle of spice to any future Caps Ranger game. Yeah. And more than that, he he said that their new coach is – This is quote, Spencer Carberry Spencer for those who Carberry, don't know. Yeah. He's not a brand name just yet. But, but he's been through their organization, coached in Hershey – um, and it has really been thought of as one of the next, you know, up and comers in the league. He said he's the perfect match. Ah. So maybe if you're one of those guys that, you know, plays point totals for specific players or whatever your right. prop du jour is, mm. maybe Kuznetsov is a pretty solid bounce back. He's candidate. only 31, um, he's which only- is crazy because he seems like he's Frank said his worst year in 10. Yes, omnipresent, uh, and he's a year removed from a point-per-game season with the Capitals. Um, you'd think he'd be able to get a $7.8 million cap hit for that player off the books. Two years left? People just don't want to deal with exactly what we're talking about. Is yeah. Isn't that it? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's a headache. Yeah. And yeah. part of that is you bring it on yourself. Part of it is when you have the allegations that you had against you for drug mm-hmm. use. Like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. None of those things help. No, very true. Uh, Marvel stuff, thank you for this. Welcome back to Vancouver. Great to see you. Yeah, great to be here. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason Don Mortgage. It's like walking through a, a dark forest these days, wondering what to do with your mortgage. Had this discussion uh, with a couple of buddies uh, at a barbecue on the weekend. What do you want? Are you want a variable? You want a fix? When's yours up? It's, uh, it's, it's actually become cocktail party conversation. Well, act hold like, on, hold on. Yeah, what? Was it a cocktail party or was it a barbecue? You're right. It was more barbecue, but, you know, it, with, in my circle of friends, we don't have cocktail parties, per se. I was going to say, um, did you have to brave the uh, elements to barbecue? Was it like a one-person running out to the yes, barbecue Yes, it was kind of one of those. Yeah, yes. so an indoor barbecue? Yeah, it was nah. one of those. Kitchen party, really, is what it turned out to be. But mm-hmm. uh, in the end, um, you'll sound smartest at those sorts of events. If you've had a chat with Jason Hominick, go to jason.mortgage. Get the lowdown on exactly what's happening, where the silly market is going, and uh, sounds super smart at indoor barbecues. <laughs> Jason.mortgage. <laughs> or cocktail parties. Yes. Or dinner parties. Whatever your circle looks like. Yeah. Um, at MLB. Clam bakes. Oh, clam bakes. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> at MLB. When your son, Orion Kirkering, makes his MLB oh. debut and gets two strikeouts, there is crying in baseball. Dad was blubbering. Like blubbering. He remind me of Tyson Joe's grandpa yes. when he got drafted. And like big rough and tumble dead too. You know, like <laughs> like, like didn't exactly look like this, you know, softy and he totally yeah. was. It was great to see. He walked into the ballpark as an alpha. He walked yes. out as a puddle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, more baseball. A Canadian icon, a Cincinnati icon now at this stage after seventeen years at Bally Sports C I N. Joey Votto, thank you. It was an emotional scene after the game as Jim Day spoke with Joey Votto following the 4-2 win over Pittsburgh. He singled in his last home at bat as a red. In fact, 
it took a minute or two for him to get to the plate, and good on the umpire for not enforcing pitch clock right. on this one. Standing ovation, he doffed his helmet. He eventually told the crowd, I've got to go hit here. you got to simmer down. Anyways, curtain call after the single. got pinch run for post-game speech with his teammates watching from the dugout. He said they're going to fight till the last game. They're two and a half back of the wild card. He called the team tenacious. And, Blake, I'm all but assured that he's going to sign with the Toronto Blue Jays in the offseason. Go home. They can use a lefty bat who can play first base. I don't imagine Brandon Belt will be back. Yeah. I think you're going to see Joey Votto playing for Canada's team next year. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun, actually. Um, but speaking of I've got to go ahead here, did you see the Dodger, uh, Dodger shortstop mic'd up in the middle of the game chatting with the broadcasters? No. And then the, he gets a stinger to short, and he's like, hold on a second, guys, i got to make a play here. Perfectly executed play, nice. and then goes right back into conversation oh, nice. with them. It was, it was unbelievable. Those mic'd up sessions have been good with players on the field. You get the right well player, as, it's absolutely. good. Absolutely. It's can't very the, good. I can't believe the coaches agreed to it. But, uh, at SI Now, more from Joey Votto. Joey Votto will provide the voice for the French narrator in a stage production of SpongeBob Musical Youth Edition. The Cincinnati Theater is doing a special SpongeBob musical at the Children's Theater of Cincinnati <laughs> from October 14th to 23. And Joey Votto will be the, the guy oh going three hours later. Which is very funny. But, you know, us as you know, Canadians exposed to French, we yeah. can all probably do a pretty decent French accent. It, uh, were your kids big on SpongeBob? Like medium. On, they had a medium SpongeBob phase. I love SpongeBob. It's hysterical. Oh, that's it's, your, that's your oh, guy, yeah? I love SpongeBob. Okay. Yeah. When you realize it was completely written for adults, too. Like, Oh, is it? Oh. Everything is completely sexual all the references are all scheduled are all sexual too like it's really? like it's over the top oh yeah my goodness well he's a sponge mm-hmm. they'll get crabs like it, it's it goes on and on and on like it, it's all with a wink and a nudge to the parents pretty funny mm-hmm. how about this history in canada west at canada west you can't script it any better maya turner delivers a game-winning field goal in the second overtime turner put the bisons ahead and the Manitoba defense proceeds to shut down the Rams, that's Regina, to secure a huge homecoming victory. Wow. Hashtag her story. She becomes the first woman to ever play and score points in a U-sports regular season football game. Congratulations to Maya. Good form, too. Nice, uh, nice kick. Speaking of girl power, yeah, Joe Pompliano. I definitely did not have Taylor Swift yelling, let's fucking go after a Travis Kelsey touchdown on my 2023 bingo card. This yeah. is uh, this is the crossover event that dads and daughters have been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, As we discussed in the opening segment, I mean, there is so many tentacles out there now because of this Travis Kelsey-Taylor Swift relationship. And yes, I... Uh, that's not really on brand for her, is no? it? No, well, no, she, she, can, she's, yeah. she's, no she can be raw. She, I think, yeah. she straddles that yeah, line, yeah, does she? I okay. think so, yeah. All right. Chest bumping, too. Travis's outfit still kills me, honestly. What does his that? outfit, did it not tie into her new movie? Yes. Yeah. 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 So that is the cynical view here, right? That 
she is using the NFL as a platform to market the new movie (laughs) because there is no bigger platform than the NFL. Remember, he's been chasing her for two years. I think, I think, uh, all right. Yeah. I'm sorry, Blake. You're yeah. romantic. Yeah. I don't mean to uh, <laughs> rain on your and I'm a Swifty. Here. I'm a Swifty. And that's hashtags for today. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Jeff Patterson joins us now from Rinkwide, our Vancouver Canucks reporter. After the first Rinkwide postgame of the season, a 10-0 loss to the Calgary Flames. Jeff, happy Monday to you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I was happy with Rinkwide. Uh, I don't think we need a do-over on our first pod of the preseason, but uh, boy, the hockey club might uh, want to try it again and and then they will I guess that's the beauty of preseason is that (laughs) they will do it again on Wednesday and I have to imagine that they're going to ice a much better and more competitive lineup uh, against the Oilers than they did a little further south in Alberta on Sunday night well that was my first question to you Jeff you know a new season upon us and I I think it probably bears um, bears mentioning that um, you know preseason lineups can be what they are. Did you see any kind of rhyme or reason to what Rick Tockett was doing with that lineup last night? No, like yeah, you know, was I surprised that the Canucks sent an inferior lineup? Uh, you know, conventional wisdom in hockey, the home team they've got ticket buying customers and they want to see the stars, and so you know the Flames didn't ice their entire NHL lineup, but uh, they had a lot of big names and big league players in their lineup. But, you know, in the same week that Jim Rutherford says, this could be a playoff team if everything goes right, and then on the first night of the preseason, they get stomped 10-0. I don't think that qualifies as everything going just right. So, again, did the game matter in the standings? No, it didn't. But if it's all about putting the habits in place and trying to hit the ground running, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't an NHL line at the very least, and maybe uh, a couple more NHL-caliber defensemen. There's the rules in place that you have to have veterans, and I, I imagine the Canucks figured out uh, a way to to satisfy the NHL's needs. Uh, but, yeah, you know, this year, six preseason games. So they had seven last year, including a couple of split-squad games. Like, Had this been a split-squad night, I could have understood them sending that lineup to Calgary if they had a much better lineup playing at the same time at home. But, uh, boy... You flush that one. They certainly did uh, on the ice. And I can't imagine that there's a ton of value in the video and, you know, going over game film from something like that. I mean, there were some instructive moments, I suppose, in terms of evaluating players that just aren't ready to compete against national hockey leaguers. But, uh, yeah, a little surprised that they didn't send a, yeah. a stouter lineup for game number one. Well, particularly because of talking in the buzzwords, right? Structure, yeah. habits, systems, standards, culture. <laughs> None of that gets off to a swimming start when you're 10 buzz. Normally, too, I've noticed that teams generally try to do do road and home games throughout the preseason to sort of allow them to have sort of game on, game off rosters. Starting on the road here, as they are for the first few, um, they're eventually going to have to send some brand-name players out on the road, which they are generally loath to do when they go back and forth home and road. Yeah, it's a quirk. There's no doubt. First three are all on the road, and then the final three are home games, with the, one of the home games being played out in Abbotsford. But also, uh, now back-to-back, the next couple of games. So, you know, will some... I would imagine... There's certainly no rules that say a guy can't play back-to-back, and sometimes you want to test players and 
you know, that's part of the challenge. How do they respond? Uh, you can do it one night. And Rick talking talked about this at training camp too. Like after day one, he was like, yeah, I was pretty happy with day one, but it's just one day. Now they've got to do it again and again. And so I think that's part of the challenge in the preseason is to put, remember it was last year or the year before Jack Rathbone played every preseason game and they just wanted to keep testing him and not allow him to rest on his laurels. And so, uh, you know, there are different measures and different ways of evaluating through the preseason, but yeah, it is a little strange to have three straight on the road to start, including back-to-backs in Edmonton and Seattle. So we'll see how different the lineups are against the Oilers and the Kraken. And then they're at home right up until that home opener on October the 11th. So lots of practice time, lots of opportunities. Once they get through these first three preseason games, they don't have to get back on the team flight uh, you know, until they're out on the road for that five-game road trip after the home opener against the Oilers. You guys were talking about how he was invisible last night. Vasily put Coles in features in our Bodog poll question. Jeff, are you worried about his development? I am. Absolutely, I am. And I don't know how anybody could look at it objectively and not have some concerns about a player that was a top 10 pick in the 2019 draft. I mean, we're now into 2023. Next draft will be five years since Pod Colson was selected at Rogers Arena. And I guess for me, the, the troubling part is nobody, including Pod Colson, really seems to know what he's supposed to be at this stage. Like when he was drafted, there was talk about, you know, is there enough offensive upside? And maybe if people are expecting him to be a high scorer in the NHL, that's not going to be the case. But, you know, he's got this pro size and underrated playmaking skills. And, you know, we all kind of saw him developing into a penalty killing role at some point. Well, he hasn't done that at any level in the Vancouver Canuck organization, his brief time in the NHL. But even when they sent him down to the minors, he wasn't a penalty killer there. And this is a team that had the worst penalty killing in the National Hockey League. And so... You know, I, I think there's some confusion on him, his part about what he's supposed to be. I think there are still questions within the organization about you know, where does he slot in? Is he a top six guy, a bottom six guy? Is he a physical force? Is he supposed to be a scorer? Again, why aren't they developing him as a penalty killer when last year, you know, anybody should have been given an opportunity to penalty kill the way that their PK was going. So yeah, there's just a lot of confusion around him and you know, he, he seemed to be in a good mood at training camp and they had placed him on that line with JT Miller and Brock Besser. Like that's a, a confidence boost. It had to be. I would have thought that uh, he would have been able to carry some of that confidence over into the first preseason game. And while he didn't have JT Miller and Brock Besser in uniform, he was on a line with P.S. Suter and Jack Studnika, who were two of the more pedigreed members of the Vancouver Canucks in that lineup against the Flames. And he did nothing with it. Like, you know, forget winning puck battles. I need to see him getting into the puck battle, first of all. And this guy can't be a perimeter player. He can't come out of the night without, you know, any sort of bottom line. I mean, he's not going to score every night, but, you know, put up three or four shots, look dangerous, have a, a scoring chance that we're all talking about today. Instead, it was like, where was Vasily Podkolzin, who, you know, the way they were lined up on the depth chart, he was on the top line for the Vancouver Canucks, and there was... Uh, well, he didn't look like a top line performer, and there certainly was no bottom line to his performance either. And nobody was great last night as a forward, obviously. But no. at least, like, I did notice Niels Hoaglander on the screen a lot. And that, to me, that was merely the bar that I was sort of ready to evaluate Vasily Podkolzin within. Is are, are, are you noticeable? And you got to give that to Hoaglander at the very least. 
Yeah, and just back on Paul Colson for a second here, and you look at his peer group from that 2019 draft, I mean, Trevor Zegras was selected ahead of him, so the Canucks didn't have an opportunity to select Zegras, who was the ninth overall pick, so two picks in front, and obviously Zegras has joined an Anaheim team that's been down, he's been placed in a much better situation, but... You know, his numbers are off the charts compared to Vasily Podkolzin. But the guys that were still there when the Canucks selected, like Matthew Boldy, sort of profiles as the same kind of player. And he is developing into a star in Minnesota already. Two picks after Podkolzin. And, of course, Cole Caulfield, uh, you know, one of the highest goal scorers already out of that draft class. And that was uh, the question on that that draft day. You know, if Caulfield's available, do the Canucks go that route? And obviously they didn't. They liked what they saw in sort of the raw tools in Vasily Podkolzin, but uh, yeah, just measuring him against his peer, like Nils Hoaglander, who was the second rounder that year, uh, his numbers skate circles around Podkolzin at the National Hockey League level to this stage in their career, and they're both relatively young, but you're right. Like, Hoaglander gets in on the forecheck and the big hit on Dennis Gilbert, and you hated to see him get injured. Uh, obviously, Gilbert got the better of Hoaglander in the first period, and that's when Matt Irwin stepped in. But yeah, as I watched that game unfold... Uh, was drawn to Hoaglander. I mean, he was a guy that I was keeping an eye on after uh, his performance at training camp, and he's a guy that's going to have to be noticed every single time out if he wants to make this hockey club. But uh, just comparing those two guys based on last night's game in Calgary, uh, absolutely, I would say, a step forward for Ho- Hoaglander. And unfortunately, and you're right, Blake, I mean, Pod Colson had lots of company, but uh, I would put Pod Colson in the step backwards category, and there can't be many more nights like that. Or there's just not going to be a spot for him in the NHL lineup this season. Jeff, what's your two cents on Dakota Joshua's first weekend here? He gets into that tussle with Connor Garland in the uh, scrimmage in Victoria. He plays on a line last night with Atu Ratu and Sheldon Dries. And, of course, he ended last season pretty well, and we know he's got the stamp of approval from this management group. I think we're looking at a Dakota Joshua who sees himself as a top-nine guy, a third-liner going forward. A word or two on, on Joshua's weekend, please. Yeah, well, just uh, clarification, and it was strange in the moment, but the, the tussle with Garland actually came in the special teams drills after the mm. scrimmage, which was bizarre. It just kind of materialized out of nowhere, but it was really over a puck battle, and Joshua seemed frustrated, and he kind of swung his stick a little bit. I think he thought he was uh, getting a piece of Garland, actually slashed Philip Hronik, and Hronik kind of looked around like... What did I do? Who got uh, me? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then Connor Garland doesn't back down from anybody in a game or even in a practice situation. But yeah, I mean, there was a little heat to special teams that we just didn't expect. I do wonder, because I didn't think Dakota Joshua was particularly good last night either. And again, the long list. Uh, he got tangled up with Chris Tanev on one of his first shifts and and behind the Calgary net. And Tanev sort of fell on him. And I remember they had the camera shot of Joshua sort of limping to the bench. And I wondered if uh, he was hobbled in any way if that factored into his performance. Because, uh, you know, as this game's getting away from the Vancouver Canucks, I'm thinking, like, all right, who's going to... Who in uniform tonight is going to sort of take this team and grab it by the scruff of the neck and try to step up and and show the Flames that, you know, the Canucks are there to compete and that they're not going to get run out of the rink. And Dakota Joshua was the name that immediately sprung to mind. Now, Matt Irwin stepped up in the situation. He was on the ice. He was right there. And he dropped the gloves with Gilbert after the hit on Hoaglander. I wasn't looking for Dakota Joshua to fight, but again, be the leader. Uh, the leadership group's not a uniform, so you are a guy that sort of established yourself as part of this team and a regular National Hockey Leaguer. And by my count, Pius Suter and Dakota Joshua were probably the only two locks among the forward group on Sunday night that will be in the opening night lineup for the Vancouver Canucks. So I would have liked to have seen him read the room a little bit better and maybe just you know up his 
physical role in a hockey game like that one, be aggressive, uh, finish your checks, all those types of things. He's such a big body. He can't be quiet. And yes, Rick Tockett sang his praises uh, down the stretch last year. I thought Joshua had a fairly quiet uh, training camp on a line with Nils Amon and, and Linus Carlson and obviously a little bit of chemistry with Nils Amon last year, but Linus Carlson is not going to be in the Vancouver Canucks lineup to start the season. So not exactly sure what the coaching staff was looking for there. And just in terms of top nine, Matt, you know, guys like Phil DiGiuseppe, Anthony Beauvillier, Beauvillier and DiGiuseppe were on a line with Teddy Bluger through training camp. And I think that that is a line that Rick Tocchet is going to want to get a look at. DiGiuseppe was one of the first guys out over the boards in the penalty killing drills along with Bluger, so read into that what you will. Um, you know, there are a bunch I was going to ask you about that, Jeff. Yep. Like, you, you actually think Beauvillier has sort of um, – you think he could sink to third line? Well, the, the big wild card in all of this is Ilya Mikheyev, right? And, sure. And nobody has seen him. Apparently, he did skate uh, late in the day on Saturday uh, with that C group and – you know, we'll see as the Canucks return home here and start now into more of their practices and when do they get down in numbers. But let, let's just, for the sake of this argument, assume that Ily McKay, I mean, he's going to be healthy at some point. You know, the question remains, like, where is he best slotted and where is the coaching staff? Like, Archdeep Baines on a line with Pia Suter and Connor Garland. Archdeep Baines had a nice young stars, didn't look out of place at main camp. I think he's going to get a look here, but let's not fool ourselves. But is he a placeholder for Ilya Mikheyev? Does Mikheyev drop that far down in the lineup? Or does Dakota Joshua perhaps slide in? Like I could see a role for Dakota Joshua on the line with Pius Suter and, and Connor Garland. Uh, but then that makes you wonder about Beauvillier. Like it, it, Teddy Bluger looks to be the fourth line center. So anybody that's playing with him, you would think is on the fourth line. You know, I think that's a place that Phil DiGiuseppe can contribute to the hockey club. But this is a contract year for... For Anthony Beauvillier, this is a guy that has scored 20 goals in the National Hockey League. It's a guy that found himself on a line with Elias Pedersen and Andre Kuzmenko after the trade last year. So that would be quite a drop on the depth chart for him. So I don't know if it's message sending from the coach. Whatever the case, I thought Beauvillier and DiGiuseppe did a pretty nice job in the scrimmage, getting into the four check, hounding pucks. And in fact, they turned one over and Bluger scored his team's only goal on Saturday. So I do think that that trio is something to monitor. And I do think it's something that Rick Tockett probably wants to have a look at in one of these early yeah. preseason games. And, and I see a lot of people wanting to pencil in younger players, but I think DiGiuseppe is on this team and in this opening night lineup. Uh, I know you guys liked Hiroshi, uh, uh If you could like anyone last night. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about his uh, fellow college free agent from last year, Cole McWard. I think Cole McWard has put uh, a good foot forward here from Penticton on. Like, he was really good in uh, in Penticton. And again, guys with NHL experience, they should stand out, even if it's five games. I mean, he scored a goal against the Flames in one of his five games. He's got a, an NHL goal to his name. Uh, it's not about offense with him. We're still trying to get the full read on Cole McWard. But I, I just thought he, uh, you know, he, my eyes were drawn to him in Penticton. So I thought that was a nice springboard into main camp. Uh, didn't look out of place. And again, two days of drills and then the scrimmage. It's hard to really uh, provide a, an accurate assessment of the guys that stood out as opposed to guys that fell behind. It was just a lot of teaching on the part of, of Rick Tocchet and his coaching staff. But again, Cole McWard, I thought, uh, showed well for himself. And then last night, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can separate Hiroshi and McWard, and then there were the other four, essentially, on defense for the Vancouver Canucks, and it was a tough yeah. night for Jet Wu and Jack Rathbone, and Noah Juleson certainly didn't have his finest moment, and you know, Matt Irwin, 
I think he's a long shot to make the Vancouver Canucks, but certainly has uh, you know veteran savvy and experience at the NHL level. Uh, but that left side third spot, I think, is still up in the air. Now McWard's a right shot guy, and so uh, we'll see how it all plays out for him. But if it was in the eyes of some, you know, a battle between Cole McWard and Jet Wu, uh, you know, even to hang around longer in this camp, then I think I would have to put uh, Cole McWard a, a step ahead of, of Jet Wu at this point. But yeah, I, you know, I, I just haven't seen enough of Cole McWard to fully grasp what he's going to be as he continues to develop. Like, are they looking for offense? He skates well and he's got pretty good size and range. And then it's a question of, uh, you know, how does he defend and how does he match up physically and those types of things. So I still think there's a pretty steep learning curve for him and a fair bit of room to grow. But the beauty there is, I mean, he turned pro after two years of university. So he's a little younger than uh, some of the other guys uh, like Akito Hiroshi or a Max Sasson who turned pro at the end of last season as well. Uh, Cole McWard has a little bit more time, I think, on his side in terms of uh, arriving at his full potential. Final yeah, one for 22 me. 22 for him, 23, yeah. 24 for Sasson. And- Final one for me, because the young players never know when their last preseason game is going to be. So you kind of have to lay it all on the line. Guys like Ratu and Klimovich, um, you want to see just a flash. You want to see something to just be like, okay, that's what I can latch on to for the future. That's what the kind of player he is. Do you, do you see any such flashes from either of those two guys? I've kept a pretty close eye on Atu Ratu because, again, still in the information gathering mode here. And he's 20. He doesn't turn 21 until November. So he's young and obviously, uh, you know, wasn't any sort of throwing in the Horvat deal. I mean, they were looking to get a future piece of this hockey club. And, you know, I, I thought he had a slow start in Penticton. They started him on the wing in Victoria, which I thought was interesting because uh, this team isn't exactly... Uh, you know, chock full of uh, legitimate centermen at the National Hockey League level. And so I, I would have thought that every rep he gets would be in the middle of the ice, but uh, they sort of swapped him and Sheldon Dries out. And then last night he was back in the middle and yeah, I thought he had his moments. And, you know, we talked on it on, on Rinkwide. Nine shot attempts just tells you that he had the puck on his stick in the offensive zone and was looking to shoot. He only hit the net three times and obviously didn't score, but I, I, baby steps and relative to other guys that we wanted to make things happen. Yeah, I mean, there were some moments Ratu tried to watch him closely at both ends of the ice, you know, far from perfect. There was one of the Calgary goals, one of the many Calgary goals to lose track. Um, but it was uh, in the second half of their goal-scoring barrage uh, where he was a little slow to read and react and get to his man. And it probably was one of Coronado's goals. But uh, whatever the case, uh, you know, I think Ratu, he profiles as this guy that's going to be a 200-foot kind of player. And so you expect that there'll be some offense, but he also has to make sure that he holds his own in the defensive end of uh, the ice. And, and it was tough uh, for pretty much everybody in a Canuck uniform to do that against the lineup the Flames drafted. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, coming out of last night, I would say Hoaglander was probably the best of the forward bunch. I thought Jack Stanika was noticeable, four shots on goal for him, and that continued a, a nice training camp. And so keep an eye on Stanuka. Not really sure where he fits in the grand plan, but he is a guy that's at least you know putting his best foot forward and okay. trying to stand out. Mm-hmm. And as for Klimovich, like I just don't see it, unfortunately. And for a lot of the reasons we talked about uh, Pod Colson earlier, like just give me a moment, give me something. Uh, you know, he hit a post in Penticton, but over the course of three games at that level with the pro experience that he has, like you can't be clinging to Demila Klimovich hitting a post. You know, Aiden McDonough scored in all three of the games that he played at Young Stars. Like, that's what I wanted to see from a guy like Klimovich as well. 
And then on to main camp, a bit of an afterthought, uh, playing on an all-Abbotsford line. Like, I, I don't think that Danilo Klimovich is uh, in consideration for any sort of roster spot. Uh, I think uh, they've earmarked him already to start the season down in Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's a question of, you know, what kind of role does he have there? What does he do with the opportunity? We know that he's a he's got to be a scorer. And yet he's just been remarkably quiet through training camp, well, young stars training camp. And then uh, I thought, uh, you know, tough night for him. Took the early penalty, kind of put himself behind the eight ball a little bit, but uh, just been waiting for any sort of flash from Danilo yep. Klamovic. Kind of show us what you're capable of at some yeah. point. And, and, and if you don't, others are going to surge in front of you. And that's kind of the story now for a guy like Jack Rathbone as well on defense is that, you know, he was the flavor of the month or week for a couple of years at camp. But as other guys have emerged and the organization's gone out and find other found other players, uh, you know, it's it just feeling more and more like Jack Rathbone is a little bit of an afterthought in this organization yeah, as well. Too. We were this close to our first do something of the year. <laughs> I fought the down. urge. I fought yeah. the urge. So yeah. just very quickly, do you think Klamovich gets another preseason game or is that that? There's only six this year, so which is why I ask. Right, and one off the board. So mm-hmm. uh, my gut tells me that, uh, no, he probably mm-hmm. will be among the first right. that uh, yeah. is sent down to Abbotsford, and Abbotsford's going to start its training camp uh, next week. So uh, there will be some roster moves. Uh, maybe they keep this group together, as we said, with back-to-backs. That provides the coaching staff some options, but I would certainly think by uh, the time that game ends in Seattle that some decisions will have been made in either late Thursday or sometime on Friday Uh, the Canucks will start to reduce their numbers. Marvelous stuff, Jeff. Thanks for this. We'll catch up later in the week. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. So here's some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Well, 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 Vancouver well. Whitecaps FC, who blow it in the second half against Real Salt Lake. They, uh, they lose 2-1 to a direct competitor in the West. They lead, uh, lead the league in blown one nothing leads. Do they really? Yeah. Mm. Not for draws, for losses. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And yet... They have every opportunity in the late stages of this match. Ryan Gold, Simon Betcher, both with glorious opportunities. And then there was the free kick from just outside the area, Blake, where former Vancouver Whitecaps, Zach McMath, and and um, we developed a little rapport with Zach. He was a good dude. Nice to see him get an opportunity yeah, that he didn't way get Way more than I thought he'd ever yeah, get. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but McMath makes a fantastic save off Brian White in the 83rd minute. And then Tristan Blackman is going to tap in the setter, the sitter, and gets absolutely tackled. And no call. And they go to VAR to see if the ball goes over the line, and yet no call on the, on no the, red call card. On the tackle. Yeah. yeah. And then I right, mean, it should have been a penalty. No, Stephen Caldwell was pushing for the penalty on TSN. I, I think the the play at the death was was more egregious to me. That's a, that's a handball. I don't care if the ball was headed wide. That too, and that was a handball. Um, he kind of, but know, is it in a natural position, Blake? Well, his it was ball to hand or ball to the, arm. The top half of his arm was great. It was tight. It was right up 
and tight against it. But his other, his hand, the forearm is sticking straight out like a T Rex. Well, is that a natural position? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. When when the ball's headed at least in the direction of goal, <laughs> if not on goal, I I. So the Whitecaps are down to seventh in the MLS West. The uh, scoreboard, which we had been tracking and which had been very kind to Vancouver over the last few weeks, here, was not as kind this week and didn't break as advantageously. But the thing is, if they make good on their games in hand, they get back into fourth place, and that is still home field in round one, which is a best of three, so the potential for two games, playoff dates at BC Place. Now, getting higher than fourth might be difficult with the schedule remaining because, as we have noted, after they're done the seven-game roadie Wednesday in Denver, they come home to face a D.C. United side at B.C. Place Saturday and and welcome back to B.C. Place, Vancouver Whitecaps FC. But then it's a murderer's row, the three best teams in the West to end the season, St. Louis, Seattle, and LAFC. So the good news is the bad news scenario there is tough teams, but mm-hmm. if you have aspirations to climb the ladder, right. what's the easiest way to do it? Head to head matchups. Right. Uh, at Colorado on Wednesday. Um, Must win there. Must win. Well, and they were pretty competitive against Portland on the weekend. In fact, the Timbers came back to win that game, and they've won four in a row, the Cascadia rivals. So they're coming. Two games ahead of the. Whitecaps one point ahead of the Whitecaps. So right. you should still be able to take down Portland. Absolutely. But that means winning Wednesday. Have to. Draw Wednesday is... Uh, loss Wednesday is... You start wondering, okay, could... I think it would be hard to slide completely out of the playoffs at this stage. No, but home field in the first but round. Home field... But, yeah. But you, you lose Wednesday, and you may very well be facing one of those three teams in the first round yeah. at their crib with them having home field. You have to win. Advantage. On, on Did you Wednesday. catch any of the Labor Cup tennis over the weekend? I didn't really. Like, mm-hmm. just snippets here. I saw the Tiafo uh, just unbelievable back behind-the-back mm-hmm. play point that uh, brought everybody to their feet. It's a really mm-hmm. cool atmosphere, though. Uh, a friend of mine's uh, wife went, and I asked her uh, what she thought of, of the uh, – uh, of the display, and, and she said it was an older crowd. Yeah, but he said it was. She said it was full. It looked like eighty five percent full well, and good atmosphere. Total attendance for the weekend was seventy two thousand two hundred and fifty one. So they did pretty well. It picked up Saturday, Sunday, in those sessions, particularly the sessions where it was still competitive. Team World One, or yeah, World yeah, one, Team yeah. World One, yeah. And the last session yesterday uh, was not meaningful. But I was watching Friday and going, mm, there's a fair bit of empty seats there. And that was for the Felix Ogielis-Him evening one, Gael Monfils yeah. match. That's the one. That's the one. That my got really kind of spicy. Yeah, and, and I can remember Gael from uh, a UBC tie against France way back in the day was uh, revving up the crowd a little bit as well. So Monfils and, and Vancouver have a little bit of a history here, and Felix was none too pleased by the looks of it at one point. I didn't think. I, I guess what I learned about Labor Cup is. I didn't view it as Ryder Cup-ish in the least. I thought it was sort of pure exhibition and more about the fun and the showcase and, hey, isn't Roger Federer great and he's still connected to the game? I didn't realize it was competitive as some of the guys on court this weekend made it. 
Oh, Tiafo after that crazy point, he pointed to the crowd like like was was totally grandstanding. Like it was I I think what it is is it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. It's a chance to sort of be WWE tennis style, but also with a competitive spin on it. I I, I think it's a great, it's an interesting concept, and having yeah. the, having the crowd doused in darkness as they do, you know, yes. like it's sort I of got like, this mysteriousness nightclub feel. I do like the theater lighting there. Yeah, and of course the scoreboard popped. I was just beautiful, say. absolutely yeah. beautiful. I well mean, done. Uh, fans who are going to their first Canucks game here. Um, either in the preseason or the opener against the Oilers, that scoreboard looks. Now we're amazing. not going to get this back, right? This was just a one-off; it'll yeah. travel around, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think it's designed to go to sort of the. the I mean, maybe underselling biases here, but the best cities in the world, and so I think you're going to see it move to, and I think you're also going to see it move to environments that aren't necessarily. Huge tennis hubs. That's what I'm saying. The best, the best cities that don't have a rooted tennis exactly. tournament. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what you. But cosmopolitan see. cities. I think. I think they want oh, to take these guys I, around to the good stuff. You know, like, like if you're bringing Roger Federer, yes. all his suave, yeah. all his endorsements. I think you're going to pretty cosmic. Like, I don't think you're going to Wichita. No, no, soon. exactly. Yeah, I don't. I think Cincinnati better be. Yeah, Cincinnati's got an ATP stop, stop yeah. that that'll do just fine. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, Bodog poll question from Friday: Does Elias Pettersson's contract situation matter to you? Yes or no? What won the poll? Mm, yes, correct percentage: sixty-four, fifty-five. Hmm. Close. CJ, it matters to me, but that doesn't mean I want to hear the same reporters ask him about it nonstop. And I don't think you will, CJ, but I think no. you'll hear him ask when he goes to Toronto, Montreal, the hubs. Right? Right. But maybe, I think maybe it, even the Western Canadian. Friend. That's if they make him available. Like, uh, I'm not necessarily sure. They may very well wall him off this year, media availability wise. If it gets too much. But I, I think home side, I think they're going to ask when there's a. When there's a, a a reason to ask, if there's a mm-hmm. any 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 bump in the story, right. I think he'll get asked. But outside, I think it's done for. Malcolm now. says either results in a marginal playoff team, so voted no. It's harsh, but it's been the case thus far. Canucks said, "Who's voting no to this? It literally will shape the entire direction of the franchise until he signs. Nothing else is as important. Playoffs this year only important with regards to his contract." And then Leaf says, yes, I'm not dropping money on an EP40 jersey without a new deal. She went into the closet this weekend. And really, she hasn't had a lot of enthusiasm for her Canucks for several years now. Because she is able to just write them off and not pay attention or care after bad Octobers. Yeah, But she pulled out her Bo Horvat jersey, looked at me on Saturday and said, what do I do with this now? I said, you still wear it. Yeah. First of all, it's 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 skate in black, so it's sharp. It's oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I said, you still wear it. Wear it to the games. Yeah. I mean, wear it, it if we go out to watch them at a bar. Like that's 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 not silly to wear. No. It, it, you know the guy the guy in the I don't know the Aaron Volpatti jersey. That's a little weird. With no offense, to Aaron Volpatti, yes. good dude. Yeah. But Victor Oreskovich. Yeah, the, the role player with a handful of games, that's that's a little odd. But the Bo Horvath, the, cap, the former captain? Nah, it's not yeah. weird. I got a buddy who has a Brandon Prust 
Nikita Trampkin, and Zach Cassian jersey. Oh, wow. Crap. Brandon Pruss. He would go to the team sales and just get the most obscure jerseys possible. Oh, wow. Speaking of which, you haven't bought her a Justin Fields Bears jersey oh. yet, Matt? Why not? What's, so what's happening there? She um, she owns a uh, Bears t-shirt. And That's I'm not enough. Sure, I'm not sure that'll see the light of day this year. She owns a University of Michigan t-shirt, too. We may wear that one, particularly around uh, college football playoff time. Bear right. down, beat down. Okay, we covered this in the football section, Grady. Why do you have to keep bringing it up? Death by a million cuts here. I said yesterday on Twitter, I heard the laughing of a billion little girls at my team. Because when you lose by that margin just on any given NFL Sunday, you get the league cackling at you and you get football fans cackling at you, which, let's face it, between Canada, the U.S., and the world, maybe it's a couple hundred million people. But yesterday was the indignity of all the Swifties around this world laughing at the Chicago Bears. Although I did see some of them blowing back saying, I don't get why she's into this. I'd rather spend my three hours on a Sunday elsewhere than watching this stupid football game. She was into it. She was very into it. They only cut to her five million times. I was gonna. Well, did you see times on Red Zone yesterday? New York Jets oh. one, Taylor Swift two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bodog time. Uh, Bodog line of the day time with Blake Price. Bodog, your source free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like? What you got? It will be tight at the Ryder Cup, so I'm going to the winning margin props. Europe by one to three points. At plus 375. That's great. You don't even have to pick the exact points, which gives you uh, huge odds. But that seems like a pretty safe bet, and you're getting plus 375. On your Bodog line of the day, errors and omissions from Friday. Uh, Dallas Stars are doing training camp in Austin, so the Canucks are not the only team in the league that have gone abroad. The flower on the Ontario flag is, in fact, a three-pronged maple leaf. It is not a trillium, although trillium is their provincial Mm -hmm. flower. So explain that one to me, Ontario. What the hell are you doing with your flag? It also looks the same as Manitoba minus the bison. And then lastly, you gave us a trivia question about Patrick Kane. As 18-year-olds who were point-per-game players in the NHL, and this was a league stat, and they just flat got it wrong. The The league got it wrong. The NHL PR account. Yeah. Come on. He was not a point-per-game player at 18 years old. Uh, honestly, no. I mean, unless they're taking the two months that he played as an 18-year-old and said he got a point-per-game in every game up until, what is his birthday, November or something like that? I bet you that's what it I was. I bet you that's what they're doing. Is what that they what did? they did? That's not super a year. specific that about is it. Nonsense. That is probably exactly what they did. You're right. Nonsense. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwai, which debuted post-game edition on Sunday. Of course, follow us on social. That's Insta, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.